This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen along with you. Well, the use of antipsychotic drugs have had a major impact on the treatment of patients with psychosis, which can include things like schizophrenia, mania, bipolar disorder, severe depression, and anxiety. But there's a new generation of these drugs, and here with more on all of this and their impact on patients is Ryan O'Dell. He's an MD-PhD student at Upstate Medical University. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So I understand about this new generation of antipsychotic drugs being used to help patients with psychosis. I want to talk more about that, but I thought we'd start with helping our listeners understand what we mean by an antipsychotic. What exactly is that? So uh, an antipsychotic is something you would prescribe primarily um, or at least um, traditionally to treat the symptoms of schizophrenia or psychosis, things like hallucinations, delusions, um, disorganized uh, thoughts or thought processes. Um, so that's what they were originally designed for, is to treat psychosis, which is in the name an antipsychotic. Um, so they've been around for quite a while? Oh, yeah. They've been actually, so they've been around, they call the first generation antipsychotics, were originally developed and FDA approved in the 1950s. Mm. So they've been along, around for a long time. And some of those drugs you might have heard of are Haldol, um, uh, Thorazine is another drug in this first generation that's been along around for a long period of time. Were those mostly too kind of quiet, or were they mostly sedative, or were they also an attempt to actually uh, help with disordered thinking? I mean, do things to actually restructure the way the brain was working. Mm. So they were actually originally approved only for the treatment of schizophrenia, and they seemed to have their greatest efficacy in treating what we call the positive symptoms of schizophrenia, the hallucinations and the delusions that are sometimes associated with this disorder. Um, but they actually didn't seem to do as great of a job in helping uh, treat the disordered thought content. Um, then that's where the, the new generation of antipsychotics came in. So we're in now the second generation? The second and even third generation based on how these drugs act on different receptors in the brain. And that's that's how they categorize them. Yeah, so what is the significance? In other mm -hmm. words, time-wise, how did this all evolve? You said in the yeah. 50s you had the original ones like Haldol and Thorazine. When did the second generation come into play? So they came into play, uh, Risperidone, Risperdal was the first one in, in the 1990s. And what researchers found was that they have a common mechanism of what we call D2 or dopamine 2 antagonism. So the specific dopamine receptor in the brain, they blocked the action of dopamine on it. Um, so they were antagonists. That was the first generation. They found with these second generation antipsychotics, they, they acted on other receptors in the brain, specifically the serotonin uh, pathways. So they found that there were, um, you know, potentially different uh, pharmacological or pharmacodynamic um, properties, which then translated into different clinical uses. They were approved for other um, mental disorders that you could treat. So I'm, I'm not, a, uh, I'm not clear exactly. Mm -hmm. So this, when you said the second generation, do you mean now the third generation, or is there still the a third, new one? Yep. So the second generation was the 1990s, and then in about Let's see, 2000, and there's two new drugs in 2015, one named Brexpiprazole, the other Cariprazine, uh, and the third 
generate or the third generation uh, antipsychotics. That's that class they belong to, um, and they really just classified it on how these drugs act on different receptors in the brain. So that was a lot more recently, like in the the 2000s, 2000, 2010 and on. It's interesting because there was a very large gap between the 1950 drugs yeah. and then 1990. That's a long way in terms of you know drug development. Yeah. Was it that there wasn't as much motivation or was it that the science wasn't there? It's my understanding that the, the science wasn't there and then they also, the, these drugs weren't doing um, you know, from both the patient's and the physician's perspective, a good enough job of actually treating the symptoms of schizophrenia. So that motivated us to find new medications, potentially through new pathways in the brain, that would be able to better treat um, all of the symptoms of schizophrenia. I would imagine also as brain science evolved over time and understanding what was you mentioned receptors mm -hmm. and, and where things were in the brain and how we could maybe intervene in the brain, that probably helped. Correct. So yes. what's the significance of this newest generation? In other words, is it just um, kind of another quick step up from the second generation, or are there significant changes? So I, I would say it's closer to a quick step up. The big jump between, or the big difference between the first and second generation antipsychotics was actually the side effect profile, um, as well as the clinical efficacy for those negative symptoms. Um, we talked about the disorganized thought, and then some people with schizophrenia um, become very catatonic, slowed down, amotivated. The second generation antipsychotics helped with those symptoms. And they had actually less uh, what we call extrapyramidal syndrome or symptom side effects, which people get strange movements they can't control. You, I don't know if you've ever seen anybody for years on an antipsychotic has something called, a lot of times they develop tardive dyskinesia, where they have these uncontrollable movements in their mouth and tongue. So the second generation antipsychotics had a lot of lower rate of these side effects, which was, you know, great. Uh, however, they came with their own risks, uh, such as something called metabolic syndrome. So people on these antipsychotics would gain a lot of weight. They may develop diabetes, high blood pressure, high lipid levels. So they kind of traded one side effect for another, in essence. The third generation antipsychotics that act a little bit differently on these receptors are still unfortunately associated with a lot of these same side effects but they actually have better efficacy at treating some of the, the symptoms of schizophrenia than the second generations did. So you've been alluding to schizophrenia largely, but Correct. I had mentioned in the introduction that there are a number of psychotic mm -hmm. conditions, whether they be mania, the, which obviously is the almost the obverse or the reverse of depression, mm -hmm. you know, where people are just have this sense of euphoria and unrealistic uh, expectations, a lot of energy, and they kind of do things perhaps that are irrational and dangerous. Yes. And then you have bipolar, where people go into both categories. Am I correct yep, in these correct. in these descriptions? So, are these drugs being used for both of for basically all of these things? Yes. So, in terms of FDA approval, a lot of these second and third generation antipsychotics, in fact, all of them are approved for not only schizophrenia but bipolar mania, bipolar depression. Um, and they're actually dosed very similarly. You want to get the dose up to higher levels and block those dopamine receptors to treat both the schizophrenia and the bipolar disorder. But it, Go ahead. Oh, I, was just, I just wanted to mention there are also uh, a handful of them like aripiprazole, quetiapine, um, 
and uh, olanzapine are also approved for major depressive disorder, um, but as adjunct therapies, so an add-on to an SSRI that a patient may already be on. And so that was actually FDA approved to treat these depressive episodes that aren't necessarily associated with bipolar. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen along with MD-PhD student Ryan O'Dell. We're talking about the newest generation of antipsychotic drugs and their uses. So are these newest generation, are all these drugs that we've talked about? So mm-hmm. I guess what I need to understand is the second generation and third are both being used currently. Correct. One did not replace the other. Correct. In, in fact, the second seemed to be prescribed more only because the third generations are so new. I see. And there's not as much research behind them. I'd say the most prescribed third generation antipsychotic is probably Abilify or Aripiprazole. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll see that a lot. You can use it for acute agitation as well um, if given when somebody either... Um, an adolescent or an adult or in a state of acute agitation, you can get aripiprazole or Abilify to help calm you down. So. And it's interesting because we are seeing some of those drugs advertised to the general public. Yes, yeah. Which is now probably a new, tic- a new tactic for the drug companies anyway to get people to know about drugs and then go to their physician and demand them or ask for them. Right. But it's interesting to see a drug like that, which is very highly, um, you know, for a highly specified problem being kind of um, marketed in a general way. Are they effective? And are they used just for law? I mean, are they curative? Are they just for crises? Just give us a feeling for how they are effective. So you can use them, most of these, or a lot of these second generation antipsychotics for both both a crisis and more especially an acute psychosis, a crisis if somebody has a relapse um, with their schizophrenia, for example, or goes into a uh, manic episode. You can use it for an acute event, um, but you can also use them for the maintenance doses of patients with schizophrenia or bipolar uh, or major depressive disorder. You can use them, you know, you're going to be on these for years and potentially um, lifelong drugs. Um, they don't necessarily, I would say, cure the disorder. They don't change, they affect the, the chemistry and the neurochemistry in your brain, um, but they don't, if you go off these antipsychotics, a lot of times you can relapse. It's not like it erases or totally cures the disease. So unfortunately, many patients have to be on these drugs um, indefinitely. Um, Are they singly prescribed or do they need to be prescribed by a psychiatrist? Does primary care play a role here and in what way? So I'd say in, in my experience as a, as a medical student, what I've seen is that uh, primary care physicians or their family providers seem to be more comfortable prescribing antidepressants like the SSRIs, um, like, like Prozac, Prozac, Paxil, um, Celexa, things of that nature. Um, you know, there's something that I, I feel if, if they, you know, get familiar with the literature, they could be comfortable prescribing them, but more often than not, their patients are also being followed by a psychiatrist, um, and they defer to the, the psychiatrist's specialty uh, in prescribing these medications. They should be more, the psychiatrist should be more familiar with the side effect profile, how efficacious these drugs are, which one you should use over another, and when to switch. And also, I would think the dosage and yes. something about the time of onset or the amount of time it takes to build up in the system, all of these are very... Yes, they're very different. Even for each second-generation and third-generation antipsychotic are so different in their chemical profile and how they affect the brain. Um, and some of them, as you mentioned, for example, brexpiprazole or cariprazine, they may take two or three weeks 
um, to reach a steady state in the in the system. So you may actually have um, a couple weeks before you see um, any improvement in the symptoms of what you're attempting to treat. And then, of course, there's always the problem of thinking it's not working, and you right. might try to introduce another drug or or DC that drug, right. you know, and discontinue that drug, and then you're potentially in hot water. <laughs> right, and even if that's actually a big contributor to patient compliance as well, they feel the, the drug isn't working, so they may go off of it, or if they get adverse side effects, they may actually want to, you know, they may self-discontinue the medication, um, which is also dangerous. That can actually worsen the side effects if you just stop taking an antipsychotic that you've been on for a long period of time. So I guess the takeaway here is it really should be monitored and perhaps prescribed and monitored under the care of a psychiatrist who understands the whole yes. psychopharmacological world. Correct, yes. And all of that. Now, a little bit of time we have left. Mm -hmm. You and Dr. Thomas Schwartz, who's the interim chair of psychiatry at Upstate Medical University, have written a handbook about these new drugs. Tell us about it very briefly. Yeah. What What is it? Why did you write it? And what's it for? So it's really, it was written as a um, sort of a comprehensive review of the, the data we have on these second and third generation antipsychotics. Um, and it's more written for prescribers, physicians, um, medical students who want to learn more about the pharmacodynamics and um, pharmacology of these drugs so they feel more comfortable using them in a clinical setting. Um, we talk about what the drugs are approved for, there are some of their off-label uses. If you use them, for example, at lower doses, they may have anti-anxiety properties, antidepressive properties. And we also talk in detail about the the pharmacodynamics and pharmacology of these drugs and why, you know, one second generation antipsychotic might have this side effect profile based on the receptors it's binding to and why another one might have a different profile. Um, so it's a very technical, I would say, handbook that was written more for prescribers um, and students who are um, prospectively going into psychiatry and want to learn more about these drugs. And you're planning on going. I know you're going to be receiving your degree in this year or yes. so. And you're planning on going into psychiatry and do, continuing to do research. Is that oh, it? Oh, yes, definitely. I'd like to, to continue research, especially in a, in a psychi psychiatric residency program that has um, a research track. Very exciting. It's very exciting to hear about all of this new, you know, these very helpful drugs and Obviously, these have been very, very serious diseases, and people are now understanding that they need to be treated, you know, pharmacologically, and that's very exciting that this new stuff is available today. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming in. My guest has been Ryan O'Dell. He's an MD-PhD student at Upstate Medical University. Thanks again. I'm Linda Cohen. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air.